Amen. Thank you all so much. If you'll turn to 2 Corinthians this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, we had a couple extra Sundays between the end of Colossians and the beginning of the Christmas season. So I thought I'd preach on a couple of my favorite topics. Last week we talked about living on mission. And this morning we're going to talk about being a, a cheerful giver. Now I know that one of the <clears throat> most popular excuses for not coming to church is the phrase, all they talk about is money. And uh, that's not true. Uh, but I'll tell you, the Bible talks a lot about money and giving. About 2,350 times uh, is a discussion about giving and money. And if I'm going to be a faithful preacher of the Word of God, I've got to talk about this subject. And uh, the truth be told, the uh, reason that most people don't like the preacher talking about money is because there are a few subjects that really expose our hearts more quickly than our view of money. Uh, but Jesus got right to the point where your treasure is there your heart will be also. And so listen, I'm not trying to step on your toes this morning. I'm, I'm shooting for your hearts. I did hear about a, a couple of guys that were shipwrecked on the deserted islands, and the first guy, he was worried to death. The other guy found him a tree and laid down beside it. He was going to take a nap. And the first guy said, what are you doing? It, we're, if somebody don't find us, we're, we're not going to make it. And the second guy said, don't worry. I, he said, I make $100,000 a month. And I, the first guy said, what good is that money going to do us if, if we don't get rescued? And uh, the second guy said, you don't understand. I'm a Baptist. I tithe. My pastor will find me. <laughs> and if it makes you feel any better, I don't have a clue who gives what. And I, I never asked for that. I'm just faith, thankful for those who faithfully give week in and week out to do the ministry of God. And so this morning we're going to talk about being a, a cheerful giver from 2 Corinthians 9, I'm going to read verses 6 through 15. Before you stand, let me just say, let me just confess something to you. There was a time, yeah, y'all can go ahead and stand if you want to. Uh, there was a time in my life where I, when I got out of college, I got just a, a job in safety, and I loved it. I had the best job, I had a fire brigade, just, just loved it. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, after I was there six or seven years, a job opened up in the next town that made more money. And so I, I left the job I love and went to another job. And I had been there two weeks, and I can remember just confessing to the Lord, uh, Lord, thank you for teaching me that money won't make you happy. And I was miserable in that job. And I always tell people, I feel like that's why God didn't call me to ministry until later in life, is because he had to teach me some things about money. And I, I'm thankful that he did. And since then, I've not worried about salary or money, those kind of things. And God has been so faithful. As a matter of fact, I just sometimes I'm humbled that God lets me preach and study and pastor and uh you all give me a salary for that i i feel humbled by that and i i feel like i'd have to step down to trade jobs with the president uh, that's how i feel about getting to pastor and so god is gracious and faithful and i i just want to be a good steward of what god gives me and and i just want to thank you for your faithfulness and giving here's what paul says he's writing to the church in corinth verse six the point is this Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever." 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And that's what we want. We, we want God to, to be praised and thanks, don't we? For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And Father, thank you for your word and for your instructions about giving. And, and Lord, may your spirit teach us. Uh, Lord, we want to be cheerful givers. I do. Uh, I pray that as a body of believers that you could teach us some things about giving. And, and uh, Lord, may we trust you. May we walk in faith. Uh, Lord, I'm certain that you could do a, a mighty work in our lives just through these instructions. Help us to, to hear and to understand, to apply this in our lives. And Lord, at the end, may you be praised because you are worthy and you have given us your son, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Let me just uh, <clears throat> tell you a little bit of context here. Uh, the, the church in Corinth uh, had promised to, to help the church back in Jerusalem. Uh, there was famine and poverty, lots of needs back in Jerusalem, the Jews there, the church. And Paul had told the, the church in Corinth, and they said, hey, we want to help our brothers back in Jerusalem. And so Paul has made arrangements to send a, a delegation to, to Corinth to, to receive this gift. And uh, Paul had been boasting to some of the churches in Macedonia about uh, the, the Corinthians, their generosity and their willingness to give. And, and now it's, it's time to kind of make good on their pledge. And, and we all know it's easy to make a pledge. It's harder to fulfill the pledge. You all know what I'm talking about? Uh, you all know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> anyway, it's time for them to fulfill the pledge. And so this morning we're going to talk about becoming a cheerful giver. And this is so important. Listen, verse 7, end of verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. And so how can we become a cheerful giver? And I, and I just believe that if some of you could get a hold of this, it'll change your outlook on giving uh, for the glory of God. Uh, our young adults on Tuesday nights, uh, the last few weeks, this is subject of giving has come up. And, and just uh, it's awesome to see those young people struggling with, you know, giving, uh, wanting to give and realizing that it's, it's tough and uh, but listen, I've had over the years a few people get a hold of this, and it really changed them. And, uh, and so how can we be cheerful givers? I, I'm glad you asked me. Uh, I'm going to give you five primary ways. You, you've already seen in your bulletin that there's lots of blanks this morning, and so I got to go kind of fast. First of all, trust God's principles. We have a few farmers in the room, and many of you understand the principle of sowing and reaping. And that, that principle is simply the harvest is often proportional to the, the amount of seeds that are sown. It's, it's called the, the law of the harvest. And Paul reminds us that we will reap in proportion to what we sow. And the more we give and invest in the Lord's work, the greater the fruit, the harvest, the reward, the blessing. So what is the law of the harvest? Well, let me give you three principles. First of all, we reap in proportion to what we sow. We reap in proportion to what we sow. Verse 6, 
Here's the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap. How? Sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, generously. And so in regards to our giving, there is a correlation between how much we give and what we reap. Just as in farming, the more you sow, the more you'll reap. The funny thing is we understand this principle in regards to farming, and yet we often don't get it in regards to giving to God's work. The second principle is that we reap more than we sow. We reap more than we sow. Think about this. You sow uh, an apple seed, and that yields an apple tree. That seed, that apple seed, produces apple trees, and those apple trees produces hundreds of apples and thousands of seeds. All of that came from one seed. I really think that applies to our giving. So verse 10, he who supplies the seed, who's that? God, to the sower, that's us. He who supplies seeds to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, Give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken, rolling over. It's this picture of give and, and it will be given to you. And I'm not, this is not prosperity gospel, but this is Jesus teaching us about giving. And he says, with the measure that you give, it will be measured to you. And so we got to get that. And so I want to point out that when we give to the Lord's work, we aren't losing something. We are sowing seeds. Listen, it is not a loss, but an investment that brings returns. Listen, the farmer doesn't lose the seeds when he plants the crops. He, he gains a crop, doesn't he? Yeah. He, I mean, he throws the seeds on the ground, but he gains a crop. And so our giving is like sowing seeds. The, the problem is that so often in the church, we try to keep the seeds in the bag and the bag in the barn. And listen, you're never going to see a harvest if you don't get, if you don't open the bag and sow the seeds. Let me give you one more principle. Listen, we reap later than we sow. If you're a farmer, you don't sow seeds today and expect that plant to be there tomorrow. It takes watering and rain and sunshine and, and time. And it's the same way with our generosity. We don't always reap in an immediate return. Uh, it takes time and faith and thanksgiving and prayer sometimes. But I want you to know, church, we can trust God's principle that our giving will result in return. He who sows now will reap in God's timing. It may be soon, it may be later, but we will reap. And so let me ask you, do you trust God's principles? Are you sowing, investing, giving? Or are you trying to keep all your seeds in a bag or in a bank? Will you trust God's principles? Maybe that's the best question. Will you sow bountifully and trust God for a bountiful harvest? The second way we can be a cheerful giver is to try God's prescription. <clears throat> if giving is like sowing, what does God want us to give? What is His prescription for our giving? And we might get in the weeds a little bit this morning. Let me. Some people ask the question, is, is the, the biblical standard a tithe? A tithe means 10%. And when somebody asks me that question, I like to answer yes and no. People don't like yes and no, answer, yes and no answers. It's certainly the Old Testament standard is the tithe. The Old Testament is before Jesus. We live in the New Testament. And uh, what does the New Testament teach about giving? Well, notice verse 7. 
Each one must give as he has decided or purposed in his heart. And so giving comes out of an overflow of our hearts. And so I believe that we ought to pray about our giving. We ought to decide what we are going to give. And so don't wait till the offering plate comes by and look in your wallet and pull out the smallest bill and think that you're giving to God. Uh, that's not a good way to... Listen, generous giving comes from a heart devoted to God. The key to the Corinthians giving is found back in chapter 8. Look to your left, chapter 8, verse 5. It says in this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God, the will of God to us. And so they first gave themselves to the Lord. Notice back to chapter 9, verse 7. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And, and I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you a few times this morning. Are you a cheerful giver? And let me say this: God is concerned about the motive of our giving. Our giving is a form of worship, but we can't worship God if we give grudgingly, out of necessity. If we give just because the preacher made us feel guilty. Listen, that's not what I'm trying to do this morning at all. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty about giving. Warren Wiersbe said, don't be a sad giver. That's grudgingly uh, with sorrow and sadness. Don't be a mad giver. That's out of compulsion or necessity or guilt or coercion. But he said, be a glad giver, a cheerful giver. You all have probably heard sermons on this. That word cheerful there is the Greek word hilaros. It's the word for which we get hilarious. It means that we are happy and joyous and even want to smile and laugh when we give. Well, listen, that's not always been characteristic of my giving. And so I, God's got a lot more work to do in my life. Uh, but I'm thrilled to be able to give to God's work. And the reason I give is because I love God. And I want God to take my little seeds and use it to bring a harvest for His glory. And I hope that's your story as well. Now, you might say, well, I need some more guidance about giving. And there's a whole lot in these two chapters, chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. Let me just throw out some things here. First of all, we're to give freely and, and voluntarily, not out of necessity or compulsion. That's verse 7. So we give freely. We are to give generously. Uh, chapter 8, verse 2. For of a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflowed in a wealth of generosity. He said the church in, in Macedonia was poor, and yet their giving was very generous. We're to give generously, liberally, sacrificially. Thirdly, we're to give cheerfully, joyfully. Uh, notice there, back to chapter 8, verse 2, it says that their abundance of joy, despite the difficulties... It was a joy for them to be able to give. Verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. So we're to give cheerfully. And then thirdly, we're to give regularly. Uh, if you look back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul gives some instructions to the church about uh, giving. And he says, uh, chapter 16, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, verse 2, on the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, each of you is to put something aside, store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collection when I come. And so we're to give regularly. Uh, Paul suggests on the first day of the week and lay something aside as he may prosper. And so while I say the Old Testament specifies the giving of a tithe to the storehouse, the New Testament doesn't mention a percentage. 
I believe that new, and listen, I'd like to, if anybody wants to talk about this sometimes, I'd love to talk to you about this, and, and we might have difference of opinions, but I believe that New Testament giving is to be by proportion rather than by percentage. And I'll show you why. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3, For they gave according to their means or their ability. I mean, Jesus recognized the widow's might. You remember he was there when they was giving their offerings, and the widow came and put two coins in, and it wasn't worth much, and he said she gave all that she had. First uh, Corinthians sixteen two says, "As he may prosper," and so there's a difference, church, between giving by percentage versus proportion. I'm going to try to illustrate this to you. Let's just say you want to give by percentage, and say you make five hundred dollars a week, and you decide I want to tithe, and so you are good mathematicians. You you would give fifty dollars, right? You make five hundred, you give fifty, you live on four fifty. Let's say you get a you get a promotion. You're doing a good job. You get a promotion. Let's say you double your salary. You get a thousand dollars a week. And so if you give by percentage, then you say, well, a tenth of that's a hundred dollars. I give a hundred dollars, and now I get to live on nine hundred dollars a week. Is that good math? Is that everybody with me? I need a board up here. But here's the difference between proportion giving. Proportion giving. Let's say you start with that same that same five hundred dollars, and you you want to tithe on it, and you give fifty dollars. You live on four fifty. Proportion giving. When you get that. $500 raise, and you begin to make $1,000, pr proportion giving would say, well, I'm not going to just give 100 now. I, I'm going to give 150 Instead of giving 10%, I can give 100 I can give 15% now, and I get to live on $850. I used to live on 450 Now I, can live, I get to live on 400 more, and I can give a bigger percentage. As, as He prospers us. That, that's what the Scripture teaches. As God blesses you, then, then you're able to give more. And now the problem with all that is, is uh, it's harder to give the more you get. Uh, and so I, I like to tell people that uh, I believe tithing was acquired under the law, uh, but we live under grace. Anybody thankful for that? Anybody glad you didn't have to bring a sacrificial lamb with you this morning? Yeah, and so the grace is greater than the law. I believe that our giving ought to be greater, and yet we know from statistics that the more God gives us, the more He blesses us, the harder it is to give. Uh, in, in America, lower-income families give between 25 to 2.6% to church and charities. Uh, wealthier give uh, less than 2.1%. And so something's matter that. God gives us more, and, and it becomes harder for us to to give, and you know, I laugh about politicians. They they don't want you to see their tax returns because most of them don't give. They, they might give one percent, and if you find one that gives, to you probably want to vote for them. Uh, but but God's prescription is by proportion rather than percentage, and God wants us to give out of devotion rather than duty. Many people in the church view their giving as an obligation and duty. And listen, church, we need to see it as a wonderful privilege. Chapter 8, verse 8 says, I, I don't say this as a command. Let's just read it. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also is genuine. And so I think Paul is saying there that New Testament giving is not based upon a commandment, but it's voluntary, it's free will, it comes from a heart of love and devotion to God and His work and for others, and we want to give. that. Listen, there's a difference between devotion and duty. Let me try to illustrate that. Let's, let's say that you have a wreck and they take you to the emergency room, and somebody calls me, and I drop what I'm doing, and I go there to check on you. And, and when I get there, you say something like, well, 
you know, it really means a lot for me for you to come. And I say, oh, well, that's what they pay me for. That's, that's my job. I, they expect me, you know, something like this. Say, well, your gratitude for me coming has just changed, hasn't it? Because I came out of duty. But if you, but if you had a wreck and, and they sent you to the emergency room and they contacted me and I dropped what I did and I came to and you said, what well, really means a lot for me to come? And I said, well, I wanted to come. I love you. I care about you. I want to pray for you. I, that's a whole different thing. That's, that's coming out of devotion. God wants us to give that way. He wants us to come out. He wants us to give out of our love and, and devotion. And listen, God knows the difference. It's, it's not much worship when we give out of duty. I would say to you, if you've given out of duty, then, then go find those offering plates and get yours back. God doesn't need it. And you didn't worship Him when you gave it. I don't know if we let you do that or not. I don't, I'm going to get in trouble. But listen, will you try something for me? Listen, will, will you just try giving according to God's prescription as God has blessed you out of an overflow of love for Him and with a cheerful heart? Third way to be a cheerful giver is to test God's power. I love verse 8, one of my favorite verses. And God is able. That word there is duneto. It is it's power. It's where we get our word dynamite. God is able, literally, He has the power. What does He have the power to do? To make all grace abound towards you. Now, here in chapter 8 and 9, money and giving is referred to as a grace. And so when we give it to, to God, it's by His grace. When He gives it to us, it is His grace. And the most important thing that we need to know in regards to our giving is that God is able. Listen, church, we don't serve and worship a little God. Somebody better amen that. We serve Almighty God, and He is able. Matthew 19, 26, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine according to the power work within us. He is able to do more than we can even imagine or ask. Listen, listen, God is able. Won't you just look to the person beside you and say, God's able. Somebody, somebody needs to hear that this morning. God is able. And the reason that some people don't give, you just don't believe God is as powerful as he claims to be in his word. And I just want to tell you he's able. Now, we can go back to, to the Old Testament, Malachi 3.10, where God actually invites His people to put Him to the test. You are familiar with this. Uh, Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I just want to say God's able. Don't doubt God's power. Now, some people will say, Preacher, I can't make it on 100%. I'd sink if I had to live on. You don't trust God's power. I can't explain how it works either. I, the math doesn't always add up. I've been in church for a long time. I, I think I was on finance team before I was even a pastor. And there have been times where we didn't make budget and needs came up and we were able to meet the needs and how God does all that. I, how he does it for the church, how he does it. I don't know how the math works, but I can tell you when there's a need, my God is able to meet it. And he always has been, he always will be. God is able. And when we step out in faith and we trust him, we will be amazed at his power to provide for the needs around us. And so let me ask you, do you believe in the power of God? And if you do, let him show you his power. 
Not only do we see his power, but the fourth way to be a cheerful giver is to taste God's provisions. Back to verse 8 there. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. All, all sufficiency. And so God, God wants to meet our needs. And so notice that grace is given. Again, grace giving is referred to as a grace. And it is through our giving that we're able to share the abundant grace of God to others. I always love this verse 8. I, I want you to notice all the alls in there. You can underline them. I underline them. You all can write in your Bibles if you want to. I'm going to give you permission to do that this morning. But uh, I, I, just listen to this. All grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times for every good work. Now, he put a whole lot of alls in one verse, didn't he? You think he might want us to get something out of that? You think he might be emphasizing something here? Christians who practice grace giving will always have what they need when they need it for every good work. That, that word sufficiency means adequate resources. We know Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's, it's because he supplies all that we need. All grace, always, all sufficiency, and all things for every good. He is able and he will provide it. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every, every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now this doesn't say if you give that God's going to give you back so you can have a bigger house or a nicer car or a big fat bank account or joy. This doesn't say that. It says that he's going to provide so you can have an abundance for every good work. And so grace is given. Secondly, seeds are supplied. I love the, the way the New Living Translation translates 10 and 11. For God is the one who gives seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will give you many opportunities to do good, and he will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched so that you can give even more generously. You will be enriched, not so you can use it for yourself, not so you can be a Joe Olstein and buy you a big mansion. He'll enrich you so that you can bless others. So that you can give more generously. And so God supplies all we need. The money is the seed. And if we give our money according to God's plan and his prescription, he will multiply it to his glory and he will meet the needs. Many don't understand it. God gives us well so that we can be generous. We are blessed so that we can be a blessing. Let me give you an example. My mom and dad, when I was little, we used to have the little envelopes, but they'd give me a quarter, put it in there, take my offering, I'd check the boxes. Uh, but they gave me a quarter. There came a time when they started giving me a dollar. And uh, I'd put it in the envelope, take it to church. They wanted to teach me to, to give. And they could have bypassed all that and just put another dollar in their, their check, couldn't they? But they wanted to teach me something. They wanted to provide me with something to be able to give. And, and so they supplied my need, and I was able to give. And, and listen, I... I we should think about that when we write the checks because it's really the same thing. God is giving me money to give to his work. Apart from him, I don't have anything. Apart from my mom and dad, I didn't have the quarter or the dollar. And they give it to me, and I guess I could have stuck it in my pocket. And I didn't really think about that. But, uh, but we do that sometimes. God gives it to us, and we don't. We stick it in our pocket. 
But he's the one that gives it to us. And he allows us to, he gives it to us, and then he allows us to give it back to him to use it for his work and be a part of what he's doing in the kingdom. Now, how does God do all that and provide all our needs? Captain Levy, a believer from Philadelphia, he, he was once asked, asked how he could give so much to the Lord's work and still possess so much wealth. And he said, I'll, I'll, as I shovel it out, he shovels it in, and the Lord has a bigger shovel. I hope you've experienced that. And then notice the blessings are bestowed. Again, verse 11, you'll be enriched. <clears throat> Listen, basically what he's saying is you, you'll become a channel through whom God works to meet the needs of others. God's always given us opportunities around us, and, 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 and he, he can choose any way he wants to to meet that need, and yet he allows us to be part of the channel, and we get a blessing, and he gets thanks. And, uh, and over the years, I've seen a few young Christians get a hold of this, these principles, and start giving, and just see this joy, and God provide, and uh, man, God just blesses in greater ways. And, and, and then notice God is glorified. Uh, 12 and, and 13, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs for the saints in, in Jerusalem, but, but it's bringing thanksgiving to God. That, that's the end goal, is for God to get the glory. I mean, we're, it's Thanksgiving this week, and, and we have so much to be thankful for, and our thanksgiving is to God. He's the one who is worthy of all thanksgiving. And, and so really the focus of verse 12 is that that their giving would meet the needs in Jerusalem. And uh, the, the Corinthians, the Gentiles, they could have made excuses for, for not giving. They could have said things like, well, that's their problem. We've got to take care of our own needs. Church, grace giving doesn't look for excuses not to give. But it looks for opportunities to give. I, I have a buddy in, in Stanford. And he told me one time, if, you, if somebody needs something, you let me know. Now, over the years, lots of people have told me something like that, and I don't think most of them meant it, but he meant it. And I, I tell you this, I could send him a text today and said, somebody needs $500, and I, I, I'm almost promise you, tomorrow I'll get a text from him and say, he'll say something like, I put it in the mail, thank you for the opportunity to help. And I'm thankful I've crossed paths with him because, man, I, I want to see those things as opportunities and not, oh, my gosh, somebody sent me a letter and they want me to help them go on a mission trip. Really? How many of these am I going to get? And yet he would thank me for the opportunity to help someone. Galatians 6.10, so then we, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Did you all know that one was in there? As we have opportunity, let us do good for everyone. And what will be the results? Paul says that, verse 13, that this will end in thanksgiving to God. They will glorify God because of your submission. I'm out of time, but I'm going to just tell you, just kind of summarize here. Paul, there was division between Jews and Gentiles, and, and Paul knew that if this church would give, uh, there would be this bond built with the Jews back in Jerusalem. And uh, they'd become family. And God would be glorified. And so he, he encouraged them in their giving. And, and so that point there is bonds are built. And let me just get down to the last point. The fifth way to be a cheerful giver is just to trace God's pattern. This is verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That inexpressible, indescribable gift is his son. 
And so whatever we purpose to give, it, it will never be a, a billionth of what God has given us. And if any of you are annoyed today because the preacher's talking about money, listen, you need to get a hold of verse 15. The God who calls us to give cheerfully and freely and generously, uh, just look at what he has done for us. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? just want us to be reminded that God didn't have to send His Son. He could have let us pay the righteous judgment for our sins. He could have let us go to hell and pay for our sins. He could have done that. He would have been just if He had done that. And then He didn't just give us something. He gave us the most precious thing that He had, His Son. And Jesus didn't come grudgingly, church. He didn't come out of duty. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the author, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising. Listen, for the joy. Jesus came with joy. He went to the cross with joy for us. And so God has given us a pattern for our giving and he gave us that pattern by giving this indescribable gift of His Son so that you and I might be saved. And this surpassing, indescribable, most wonderful gift is by the grace of God. And then He offers us the gift of salvation, a salvation that was purchased by His Son dying on a Roman cross. And so if you're here this morning, let me say this. If you've never received this gift, then the giving that you need to consider this morning has nothing to do with money. No, you need to give your life and your obedience to Jesus Christ because He willingly gave His life for you. And for those of us who have received the gift of eternal life, I can't help but think but when, that when we really, really come to understand this inexpressible gift of Christ it'll change our lives and we'll become cheerful givers and this church will sow even more generously and listen God will get all the glory God loves a cheerful giver God loves a cheerful giver let's pray Father thank you for your word and your provisions your power Lord, thank you most of all for this indescribable gift of your Son. And we pray for those who have never received this gift. Lord, may today be the, the day of their salvation. And we pray for those who have been saved, that we would grow in our giving, that we would be cheerful givers. Lord, forgive us of all of our past failures. Steer our hearts this morning. Change us and grow us and Make us more like your precious Son, Jesus our Christ. We pray you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? And listen, I, if you're if you're here and you're not saved, I just I want to tell you, verse 15, that indescribable gift was Jesus. And he left all the glory in heaven to come and rescue you. And he did that by dying on the cross. He took your sins on the cross. He died. Was raised from the dead, offers to save you. And listen, if you 
if you're here and you're not saved and you're not overwhelmed that Jesus would do that for you, then I, there's nothing else I can say. But, but if you want to receive that gift, I, I'd love to talk to you about it today. And, and if you're saved this morning, nobody likes to respond when the preacher talks about giving. I'm going to pray in a minute that God would help me to be a cheerful giver. You can join me if you want to. If you want to take the Lord's Supper, we invite you to do that. You just respond. If the Spirit's, that's all I ask you to do. If the Spirit's spoken to you in some way this morning, humble yourself and respond to the glory of God. Do that.